First Corinthians 13, we call it the great love chapter, and it is, but it's also the growing up chapter. It talks about spiritual development, growing up, which is the same because growing up in God, growing up spiritually, is developing and growing up in love. The two are inseparable. Well, God is love, so if you're growing up in God, you're growing up in love. First Corinthians 13, he said, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, which is the, the word agape, the word for love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Is it possible to speak in tongues in vain? According to this, yes. And the lack of love would make it vain. Keep reading. Though I have prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. These are some big statements. Is that right? These are, these are huge statements. These are covering so much territory. You prophesy. You have mountain moving faith. But it amounts to nothing. Keep going. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Notice the language here. If you gave something to somebody and they were in need and it helped them out, it benefited them. But if your motive was anything other than love, you're not going to get any reward for that. And it's not going to profit you at all. Should we know these things? Should we emphasize the, I mean, this is important priority things. Keep reading. Love suffers long and is kind. Now, uh, this whole list is, every word is so important, significant. But we're, we're camping on this first part right now in this series. So say it out loud. Love, love suffers, long suffers long and is kind. And is kind. Let's say it together. Love, love suffers, suffers long and is kind. Say it again. Love, love suffers, suffers long and is kind. Now suffer long. That's not exactly how we talk today. It, it perseveres. It bears with. It puts up with. And it's kind while it's putting up with. Now this is the God kind of love. The love that God is. And also that love. Everybody that's genuinely been saved. Been born again. You have that love in your heart. That love has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, Romans says. If you don't have that love in you, you're not saved. You've never been born again. Even if you went to church your whole life. Here's something many have not realized. You can go to church and not be saved. Not be born again. You can have your name on the church roll. You can be a member of a church. And not be saved. Not be born again. Jesus said... To Nicodemus, you must 
be born again. Or that term can literally be translated born from above. Uh, your natural birth is you're born from the earth from below. But then born from above is a heavenly birth. And it's not just an acceptance of a tenets of belief. It is an experience. I said it's an experience. I know exactly when I was born again. Anybody here besides me know when you were born again. I grew up in a Christian home. Now my parents didn't serve God when we were younger. But my grandmother saw to it that my brother and I were in church every Sunday. And uh, but I was a boy about uh, 12, 13 years old and uh, had been to church all those years, but I had not been born again. And there'd been many altar calls and many opportunities, but I won't go through the the whole thing, but through a, a tragedy actually in the family, my parents went to church for the first time themselves And that morning when the altar call was given, my dad got up and walked the aisle to give his heart and life to the Lord. When he did, I so respected him, I figured, well, if he needs to do it, I need to do it. And I got up and I followed him to the altar. And I was born again. And the next day, that was Sunday, Monday at school, the people I didn't like looked different to me. I thought, what has changed around here? I looked around. And the teachers I didn't like, I thought, well, they're okay, you know. And then the the, the students that I thought were a problem, what? Maybe I still didn't like everything they said and did, but something had changed in me. It was the love of God had now been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, everyone, in order to be saved, this has to happen. Now, go with me, you're there in the 13th chapter. Go back to the 8th chapter, chapter 8, and verse 1. Well, I, actually, I'm going to read this in the um, NIV on this first part. He said, now, as touching idols, uh, the things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Say that out loud. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Say it out loud. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Now we are in a very knowledge-centric generation. We're actually, you know, the last couple of decades especially and moving forward, it's called the information age. And information of what? Well, it's knowledge. Whether it's data or what it is. Information knowledge. And there's such an emphasis on education. And degrees. And these kinds. I'm I'm not knocking that. But one thing you want to remind yourself. Who is teaching you? And where did they get what they got? And who wrote the book? And what makes them right? Just because somebody has initials after their name does not mean they know what they're talking about. Doesn't make it true. And something that a lot of people fail to do is somebody comes out with this study or this paper or this concept. 
What kind of life do they have? What kind of relationships do they have? What kind of marriage? What kind of family? What kind of, you know, house? You can be a genius intellectually, as the world concerns. That does not make you a good person. It doesn't make you something anybody would want to live with. <laughs> Knowledge isn't the most important thing. Love is. Knowledge is important. But it's not the most important. And if all you emphasize is knowledge. All you'll wind up. Is arrogant. And think that you're smarter. Than other people. And that's one of the biggest issues we've got. In our leadership struggles. Is people think. They're smarter than other people. And it's all about what's right, what's correct, what's, what's right. But is it? That's acting like you know all about it. And we know that's not true before you even go any further. Look at the next verse. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Verse 2, if any man think that he knows anything what's the reality you don't yet know as you ought to know in in that 1 Corinthians 13 we didn't finish reading it but at one point Paul says this he starts talking about when I was a child thought like a child talked like understood like a child spoke like a child and He said, for we know in part. Who? Now, Paul, who was formerly Saul of the Pharisees, he was the poster child for the scholar. He had multiple doctorate degrees by, by our standard. He spoke multiple languages. You talk about a scholar. And in in Philippians, he says, I count all of that dung. (laughs) To get the knowledge of Christ. What a change. What a change. And yet, what does he say? Even after he met the master on the road to Damascus, he saw The holy light. It blinded him temporarily. And then later. He talked personally to Jesus. And later he was caught up. To the third heaven. He wrote. What we call. Two thirds of the New Testament. And he says. I know. In part. What does that mean? There's a lot of parts you don't know. Well, if that's true, you should act like it. You should act like there's a lot of parts I don't know. You got to remind yourself. We were talking about the judging thing earlier. Phyllis and I do, do this on a regular basis. Something come up, you know something is wrong. Maybe it's obvious that what was done was wrong. 
But you need to remind yourself, we don't know them. We don't know how, what led up to this. We don't know what they know or what they don't know. You need to remind yourself of what you don't know. And it'll help you to stay in reality and not judge and not be a hypocrite. Is this Bible? What will the truth do for you? Help me out. It'll make you free. So he goes on to say, he said, if any man think he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Said out loud, anything I think I know, I know nothing yet as I ought to know it. Anything you know is a thimbleful compared to what can be known about these things. You and I are baby babies by right of just existence. If you've been alive 75 years, that is nothing in terms of time and God. With God, a thousand years is like last night. A watch in the night, the psalmist said. So if you've been alive a hundred years and studied every day, what do you know compared to that? My father in the faith, Kenneth Hagin, senior, who's in heaven now, in my mind, super knowledgeable. I mean, the guy could quote uh, two-thirds of the New Testament, just verbatim. I mean, he's quote chapters at a time, just roll out of it. And just ever so often he'd say, we know so little. We know so little. He said, the more you learn, the less you see you knew. We know so little. Does that sound like we know in part? And see, the people who think they know so much are actually the dumbest. The most ignorant. Well, what do you mean? I'm not trying to call names. Ignorant means you don't know. They think they know so much, and it's pitiful, they have no clue how little they really know. But as you're growing and developing, and you do learn some things, you go, wow, was I clueless. Wow. Oh, look at that. Mm. So I was wrong about all of that. (laughs) This is growth. I said, this is growth. This is development. Notice he goes on to say, if any man think he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. You will never get God's attention. Never get his attention by how much you know. Never. You can't impress him with what you know. Come on, y'all with me. What are you going to tell him? (laughs) He creates galaxies, stars. He's been around for we don't know how long. From eternity to eternity. We can't even wrap our little head around that. He created the brain. (laughs) And your heart is pumping. 
and the blood cells that are streaming through. He, he, he made all that. So I said, well, no, we, we have no proof of Who made it then? Who? Who made it? Oh, it was, it was a bang. What caused it? It just self-generated. That ain't science. That's ignorant speculation. We got a book that tells us. I said we got a book that tells us if you'll accept it. I do. I accept it. And I'm happy. Somebody said, well, you're just, you're, you're just, you know, you need that religion as a crutch. Leave me alone. I'm happy. Leave me alone. <laughs> And in a few years, we'll find out who was ignorant. We will find out. (laughs) Go with me to the book of John, 7th chapter, please. This 8th chapter is so rich. We took some time and went through that last time. So if you weren't with us, maybe go online and and get that first message. This is based on it. But he, he goes into detail talking about Hurting people whose conscience is weak because of the knowledge that you have. And we'll see that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, the church there wrote to Paul and asked him questions about things. This is obvious because in these chapters he'll say, now concerning this. And concerning what you asked about sometimes. You brought it up. So now the Spirit of God through him is giving them the answer. And what they're wanting to know, like on that chapter 8 and also in chapter 10. They're wanting to know about eating food that was offered to idols. Because their city was full of idols. Full of idol temples. And they sacrificed animals to these false gods and goddesses. And then part of their ritual worship was eating a meal, eating these sacrificial animals. And then part of what wasn't uh, used in the ceremony was later sold in the market. And so there was this question, okay, they're saying it's not right, it's not right to eat these meats offered to idols, is it? And some people said, ah, uh, those gods and goddesses are nothing. It's fine to eat it. You know, don't be talking like others. No, I don't think it's right. And so they wrote to Paul. And they want to know, is it right to do it or is it not right? And he talks to them about their conscience. See, they're wanting a hard and fast right, wrong. Do it, don't. Let's make a rule. Everybody can eat the meat. Nobody can eat the meat. He wouldn't do it. I said he wouldn't do it. He talks to them in detail about their conscience. About their conscience. Now conscience literally means co-knowing. We're familiar with the concept of consciousness. That means you're aware. You see and know something. Well, the word for conscience is beyond that. It's not just aware or knowing. It's co-knowing. Somebody else lives inside you. The Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit lives inside you. And Romans goes into great detail about this. And, and, and when you get to studying this, man, there's a lot of this in the New Testament. About your conscience and about how we under the new covenant are to be led not by just rules and not just by law, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, does that mean, people say, well, that mean we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments anymore? No, it means if you're led by the Spirit, you won't break the Ten Commandments. Because the author of them lives inside you. And what he's saying is if the Spirit of God's in you, if you had never heard the Ten Commandments, the Spirit of God will let you know not to kill, not to steal, not to lie. Come on, can you see this? And if you follow him, you'll be doing what the law was given to deter without even knowing it. And there's so much we don't know. This is the only way to get it right. Is to be led by the Spirit, which is to pay attention to your conscience. Oh, somebody say, pay attention, pay attention to your conscience. Too many have been trying to make the leadings of the Lord too spectacular. They're wanting God to write something in the sky to speak with a booming voice. They want to see something with, but see, that's physical. That's physical. And the Bible said the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God and sons of God can and should be led by the Spirit of God. Somebody said out loud, I'm a child of God. I have the Spirit in me. I'm led by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. I know things by the Spirit of God. That's that co-knowing. Co-knowing. That you know something inside you and it's beyond you. You didn't get it from figuring it out. You didn't get it from assessing information out here. Something came up in you and you realized there was somebody else that said, yeah, this is the way to go. Something as simple as go get you some extra baby formula. You don't need to have a vision. You don't need to hear a voice. Something comes up inside you. Oh, friend, we need to pay attention to these things. Pay close attention to these things. In uh, John, the seventh chapter, did you go there? You got a few more minutes? Clock says we still got time. <laughs> Man, uh, Phyllis and I made a mistake. One of the first things we believed, endeavored to believe for. This was back in what? The uh, late 70s. We were endeavoring to believe for a car. And uh, we just had learned about faith principles. And so we agreed together as touching this. And we claimed us a car. And then we messed up. We set a time limit on it. That we, that we was going to receive it by the end of the month. And... Uh, Man, we were, best we knew how, we were on it. But, but that day came, and, and no, nothing. And, and then the night came, and, and nothing. And then 10 o'clock at night, and 11 o'clock at night, and then 12 o'clock, and 12.05, and our feathers fell. 
And we thought, well, it didn't work. And uh, so we didn't get a car. We didn't see anything about a car. Later, a few years later, when we were in school, learning about faith, the Lord brought me back to it. And uh, this is what he said to my heart. He said, you were doing good until 1201. (laughs) He said, you let a little mechanism with springs and hands click a few times and decided my word wasn't true anymore. Oh, man. I was kicking myself. I thought, dummy, dummy, dummy. And then the Lord spoke to me. He said, it's not too late. I thought, huh? He said, go back and pick it up. What you were doing, go back, pick it up, get in faith again. This time, don't set a time. Don't set a limit. Don't set a... And we did, and what was it, a couple of years later, Phyllis came in, and she said, guess what somebody told me? I said, what? They said they wanted to buy us a new car. I said, what kind? Any kind we want. Brand new. Tag, tax, insurance. I said, uh, get your purse. (laughs) And sure enough, we got it. It was a brand new 1986 Buick Riviera. That's what it was. With the wire wheels and Landau top. and Oh, man. Why'd you say all that? About the clock. Is that right? Watch about setting things that God didn't tell you to set. And don't let the passage of time doesn't change him. Doesn't change what he said. Doesn't change his things. <laughs> Somebody needed to hear that. And somebody need to hear that part, this part right here. It's a word for you. Go back and pick it up. Ah. Go back and pick it up. You turned it loose. You thought it was dead. God hadn't forgot about it. Go back and pick it up. And this time, don't quit. This time, don't set a time frame. Don't set things that God didn't tell you to do. Just get in faith about it. Expect, expect, expect. Is that right? Expect. Just keep expecting. See what the Lord does for you. In John 7, and this is so big. John 7, 24. The Lord said, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You remember what the scripture said in Samuel, the Lord doesn't look like man looks. Man looks on the outward, the external, and God does what? He looks at the heart. Don't judge according to appearance. And um, in verse 45, the officers and the chief priests and Pharisees, they, they had sent people, they had sent officers to take Jesus into custody. And they came, but they didn't bring him back. (laughs) They went to to get him, and they listened to him preach. (laughs) And then they came back without him. (laughs) And they said, why didn't you bring him? And they said, never man spoke like this man. (laughs) Isn't that something? I guess you could say they had a warrant for his arrest. They're officers. (laughs) They came back empty-handed. 
And they said, why didn't you bring him? They said, nobody ever spoke like this man. They were impacted by his message, weren't they? And the Pharisees said, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people that knoweth not the law are cursed. Now, now hear what they're saying. There is a massive movement in their cities and towns with Jesus. The crowds are huge. They're probably, on a regular basis, 10,000, 20,000, 40,000 people. Healings, miracles, signs and wonders everywhere. And they're saying, what's wrong with you? Because when they came back and said, nobody ever spoke like this man. What's what's happening? They're close to answering the altar call. (laughs) Can you see that? They're like, (laughs) and, and these Pharisees and chief priests, they said, what's wrong with you? Are you deceived too? They said, have any of us, any of the Pharisees believed on him? Why? Superior. This people who don't know, these poor, pitiful, ignorant people. You know, these tongue talkers that dance in the aisle. These folks that stand in line to get in a meeting. Ignorant folk. That need, <laughs> that need the crutch of religion. <laughs> you know, simple folks. Uneducated. <laughs> what I'm describing is one of the major issues we're dealing with across the country and across the world. People who think they're smarter feel like you're not even smart enough to run your own life. and uh, this people who don't know the law are cursed Nicodemus he that came to Jesus by night you know he had talked to Jesus one on one that's John 3 that's when Jesus said you must be born again and he said does our law judge any man before it hears him and knows what he's doing and they answered and said are you also of Galilee Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. They've got it. They're educated. (laughs) And they know stuff. And they know that it is written that the Messiah comes out of the town of David, Bethlehem. And Jesus is not from there. He's out of Galilee. So there's no way he could be the prophet Well, he was born in Bethlehem. Huh? What am I saying all that? They didn't know what they thought they knew. Oh, this is such a perfect example of it. See, they're basing everything on this. Oh, we got scripture. We got scripture. How much do you know about scripture, scribe and Pharisee? Oh, it's their life study. Yeah, but when knowledge is your preeminent uh, aspiration you're going to miss so much you're going to be so clueless because you got to keep in mind I don't care how far you've come you don't know anything yet as you could and ought to know it that's reality you just had not been around long enough hadn't been alive long enough 
I'm, if you're a hundred years old. So they thought they had it. And you see this goes right into this next chapter. And this wasn't written in chapter and verse. Keep reading. 8.1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Now this is, uh, this is bold. Because you've got to remember, a few verses ago, they sent people to arrest him. And he just goes right on into the temple <laughs> and has a service. And so this is the next ploy. The scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. My question I always got about this, how do you commit adultery by yourself? Man, is this a setup or is this a setup? Probably one of their buddies. Who conveniently slipped away while they caught her. This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Why? They are, look at verse 3, scribes and Pharisees. What are they? They are experts on the law. They know chapter and verse. And it is written. (laughs) God hates sin. And uh, it's commanded that those that commit adultery were to be stoned under the law. You might say, why in the world would the Lord do that? If there is not, they weren't even born again. If there's not some deterrent, it's just going to sweep through the whole thing. It just, there's going to be no restraint. There needs to be something to help people to see how bad it is, how damaging it is, and some deterrent against it. And it, this is how serious it is because it destroys Families, it destroys hearts and minds and lives. It affects children so adversely. It's a bad thing, but it is not unforgivable. And it is not something that a person can't be restored from. And so they are making this about the letter of the law. And the scripture said that it's not about the woman and it ain't about the uh, adultery. Verse 6, they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. It's all about him. And see, they think they got him either way he goes. They think they're so smart. Can you see this knowledge deal? Knowledge does what? Puffs up. See, they think if he says, oh no, don't stone her, then he's saying, ignore God's word. Ignore the, the law that, that, that God gave Moses. Just forget about all that. Or if he says, well, go ahead and stone her, then he's heartless. Can you see this? They think they got him either way. 
but there's a lot they don't know. <laughs> I said, there's a lot they don't know. Back up. They said, verse 4, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But I want you to notice, Jesus didn't even answer them. He didn't even answer them. He stooped down. With his finger, he wrote on the ground. King James said, as though he heard him not. Now, there's all kind of conjecture about what he wrote. But if it didn't say, it didn't say. And watch about, again, filling in the blanks. We don't know what he wrote. The scripture could have told us if he'd have wanted us to know. But he's just there writing with his finger in the earth. And they continued asking him. They're just standing over him. And you got to remember, this was a service. Used to be a service a few minutes ago. So there's a bunch of people there and they're all looking going, what is he going to do? And they said, what about it, preacher? Stoner? Don't stone her. You believe in the law of Moses? Or are we going to throw it all out the window? What about it, preacher? They continued asking him. He lifted up himself and said to them. He's not talking to the crowd. He's not talking to the woman. Here's his answer. You that's without sin among you. You throw the first rock. And then he stooped back down (laughs) and wrote on the ground. This is the wisdom of God. So simple. And yet there are so many ways to mess this up. And what's so important for us to notice is what he didn't do. He didn't let them force him into an answer. He's not going to play by their rules. Remember they came at one point and and asked him, they said, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? He said, well, I got a question for you. (laughs) Baptism of John. Was that from God? Or did men make that up? And you can almost hear him going, no, no, we asked first. You you got to answer <laughs> our question. He's like, uh-uh. You answer my question, and then we'll see. And so they said, uh, excuse us, just a minute, excuse us. And so they, they conferred among themselves. They said, you know, if we say that this was just, you know, from men, you see all these people that were at John's meetings, they're liable to stone us. I mean, we can't, can't say that. If we say well, it was from God, he's going to say, well, why didn't you go with it? Um, and after much comfort, they came back and said, um, we can't tell. <laughs> he said, well, I'm not telling you either. <laughs> In order to function like this, you got to be secure. You got to be at rest. You got to be at peace. You got to be in continual communion. With the Father. Come on, are you listening to me? 
And you're not going to let fear move you. You're not going to let pride move you. You're not going to let anything else move you. Can you see when they came and, and drop plopped her in the middle of that thing? And she, of course, is so embarrassed and, and all this is such a so tense situation. He just acts like they didn't even say a word and, and stoops down and starts writing. I think he's checking his heart. I think he's looking inside because he said, I only say what I hear the father say. He's looking inside. What do I say? And what he did not do is get into a debate with them. Trying to argue the scripture or prove this is right or that is right or try to judge or condemn them. He did nothing until he heard from the Father. Then he said exactly what the Father gave him to say. No more, no less, nothing else. And then he hushed. And stooped down again. Didn't say another word about it. And let the Spirit of God deal with them. Oh, come on, y'all listening. Let the Holy Spirit deal with them. And notice the outcome. He stooped down, verse 8, and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience... That's not him berating them or judging them. Do you think Jesus could have quoted some scriptures here? If they're going to come quote him scripture, (laughs) he could have covered them up in scriptures, couldn't he? He could have tied them up right and left. But here's the thing. If a person won't listen to their own conscience, you are wasting your time trying to play their conscience and be their conscience when you cannot be. And and we've made mistakes. I said we've made mistakes trying to show people and, and convince them and talk them into it and pushing when we should have said and done nothing until we heard from the Lord about it. Is that right? And then say only what he says to say. And then do what? Do what? Trust God. Is that right? If the Lord gave us something to say, or it wouldn't even have to be us. He could give somebody else something to say. That was what they needed to hear. And then what? Trust God to show them. Does it guarantee they'll do the right thing? No, it does not. Because they'll still have a free will. In this case, the people did the right thing. When he said, he that's without sin among you, let him be the first one to cast the stone. And I mean, you talk about an instant change of focus. See, all the focus was on Jesus. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? He did nothing, nothing, nothing. And they kept pushing him. Finally, he stood up. He said, he's looking at them. He said, well, the one that's without sin among you can throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and started writing again. He, to me, that, that's like you take yourself out of the picture. And 
The focus now is off of Jesus. And it's on them. And especially their neighbors are looking like, I know you. <laughs> you. You better not pick up a rock. You better. I know you. I know what you've done. <laughs> and just like that, these guys are looking around. And their conscience is going, don't you be a hypocrite. Don't you stand up here and act like you've never missed it. Don't you dare pick up a rock. And from the eldest, then to the least, one by one. Did you hear that phrase? Say it out loud. Convicted. Convicted. Now that word, that's not condemned. That's another part of that. But convict is from the same word convince. Convince. Convinced by their own conscience. It's not something Jesus did to them. One by one, they, they, they thought, I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't be a part of this. And they turned and walked away. And then another one standing there, and his conscience is talking to him. And he's like, I, I can't do this. He walked away. And finally, they're all gone. And uh, verse 9, they being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. So she's stood up now. And uh, when Jesus had lifted up himself, so he's still, he's still down writing on the ground. There's a time to speak. And there's a time to be quiet. Can you see that church? And we need to discern which one it is. And there's been far too much preaching at, trying to play someone's conscience, trying to show people things you can't show them, trying to talk to people and, and, and imagine they'll listen to you when they're not even listening to their own conscience. If they won't listen to their own conscience, that's mean they won't listen to the Spirit of God. They're not going to listen to you. Don't overestimate yourself and what you can do. There's a time to be quiet and get in faith. Get in faith that what you've prayed that the Lord led you to pray, that what you've said that the Lord led you to say will work. God will work with it. He'll work on it. I know there's been times that the Lord just gave me a phrase to say to somebody. They were thinking I was just going to come down on them and and preach hard at them, and, and by the grace of God, I, I didn't do that. I just, uh, I'm checking my heart, I'm checking my heart. The Lord gave me a phrase. I gave him the phrase in, in, a, in a tone, a voice of love. And they acted like they didn't receive it all. But they told me later, years later, they couldn't get away from it. <laughs> they, they'd cuss and it made them mad, but three days later when they're trying to go to sleep, he comes back up. Why? It wasn't just from me. Come on, can you see that? It it was a word from the Lord. And and sometimes even years later, repent. Come to the Lord. Get it right. And thank you. Thank you for not judging them. Thank you for not coming down on them. He said, the, the word said, Jesus lifted up himself. He saw none but the woman. He said, woman, Where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? See, she thinks she's about to die. 
No, no doubt panic was just gripping her. Embarrassed, scared, humiliated. And Jesus said, where's your accusers? Nobody condemned you as guilty? She said, uh, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he didn't tell her what she did was okay. People said, we just need to accept people the way they are. And it's no, that's not what he said. Jesus accepted anybody, no matter what they had done, if they're willing to repent. This is not just accepting anything and everything. But it's not judging people either. He said, I don't, I don't condemn you either. Go. You don't have to stay here. And don't do that anymore. Don't sin anymore like that. And then he says this. Then spoke Jesus. He said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. God deals with us so much based on the light we have and the honesty of heeding our conscience and walking in the light that we have. Other people don't know what light you have or don't have, which is why no one else is qualified to judge you. And you're not qualified to judge me because you don't know what I see in my heart and what I don't see and know. You don't know that. But God does. I said he does. He was there when he showed it to you. (laughs) So he knows what you know. He knows what you've seen. He knows what you understand. And he expects us to walk in the light that we have. And that means keeping a clear conscience. If I'm doing what I know to do, not doing what I know not to do, if I'm walking in the light that I have, my conscience will be clear. Hallelujah. And my faith will be strong. And I will be able to hear clearly what he directs me, how he leads me, how he guides me. Can you say amen? Amen. Everybody stand, please. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.